If you would, turn to Malachi 4, the very last book of the Old Testament. We're going to read the last chapter, the last verses in the Old Testament. And as you turn there, consider that this is the closing of the curtain on the Old Testament Scripture. It is the last written word of God to His people, Israel. From the end of Malachi to the first of Matthew in the New Testament, there's a 400-year period of silence in God's revealed Word. And that being considered, wouldn't you think that the last words of the Old Testament would be of great importance? They certainly are. And we're going to take our lesson from that this morning. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi, in his book, had delivered a very scathing message to the children of Israel. He had reminded them of how they had turned their back on God. He told them how they had polluted the sacrifice and how they had totally destroyed the worship of God Almighty. Within these two verses, we find the remedy for that. We find the ingredient for reform. The prophet Malachi says that reform will only come when fathers turn their hearts to the children and the children turn their hearts to the father. In other words, he said it was true leadership that was going to turn things around for the nation of Israel. And it was only then that, that the people could be prepared for the coming Messiah. Let's look at the fulfillment of that prophecy as we go to the New Testament in Luke 1, beginning in verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And this is speaking of John the Baptist. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready listen to this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Just as in the times of Israel, it is so true today, if we are going to counteract the culture that we live in, men must step up and take on the role of godly leadership. What we have to say this morning is very specific to men, but I certainly believe that the scriptures that we read and the things that we will discuss this morning will be of benefit to all of us as Christians. But as I said, I want to speak very specifically to men and your role in leadership within your family. Fathers, your most important job is at home. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That word training means the complete training and education of children when it comes to morals and their mind, and especially by correcting and curbing passions. It's our job as fathers, men, it's our job to instill within our children godly principles. You guys, we live a very, very busy life. It's rapid. It's fast-paced. We want it now. We can't wait. We email, we text, we order it online, we get it delivered the next day. We have jobs to do, we have deadlines to meet. We're running and gunning, so to speak. But that being said, it's easy for us as men to get off course. Guys, you're a leader. 
You may not perceive yourself as a leader, but you are. You're a leader because someone's watching you. There's someone following you. <clears throat> In 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, speaking of the, the qualifications for an elder, it says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And then in, again in the same chapter, continuing in verse 10, it says, But let these also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. <clears throat> now you say, now, wait a minute, David, I'm, I'm not an elder, I'm, a deacon. I'm not a deacon. And that's true. Not everybody is going to serve in that position. But I'll remind you of what Van taught us last week. He said if our congregations are going to continue to grow and grow to maturity, he says we have to have leadership. And these verses tell us that leadership begins in the home. It's the proving ground for leadership. Guys, if we don't have strong leadership in our homes, we will not continue to have strong leadership in the church. <clears throat> our first work as fathers... Our first work as husbands is at home, no matter what our culture tells us. And guys, to be a leader, first of all, you have to deny yourself. Matthew 16 and verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. It is mandatory that we as men take on the leadership role that God has given us. And as I said, that begins at home. The home is the church in miniature. And remind yourself daily that you are a leader. You know, self-denial is one of the very toughest lessons we learn as humans. Self-fulfillment... Self-empowerment, these are buzzwords that we hear around us all day long. But these things cannot be farther from the truth. We are told in our culture that we are to look inward to the, to the questions of life, the answers of life. But that is the total opposite. We've got to look into God's Word. We've got to look up to the One who created us so that we can find the model for true leadership. You know, we can learn things from... Uh, from history. I look back to the Old Testament, and if you look in the Old Testament, beginning with 1 Samuel, and from 1 Samuel to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, that chunk of Scripture is the history of God's people. It's the history of the kings that led God's people. And as we study those kings, as we look at those Scripture, we find that there were 43 kings in the leadership of Israel and of Judah. Among those 43 men, the Bible speaks of eight of those men that were good leaders. So what happened to the other 35? Well, as we study the lives of those kings, we can just simply say they blew it. They blew it because they didn't establish godly leadership in their kingdom. They didn't establish godly leadership within their family. They failed to pass on that role to their children. Even with David, David with his older sons, he had great difficulty, but it was only with his younger son Solomon 
that he was able to really pass on and establish that leadership that God had called him to. These men built their kingdom, but they did not build their families. So I'm going to ask you guys this morning, what kingdom are you building? Are you working on an earthly kingdom or a spiritual kingdom? How much time do you spend at work? And for what reason? For a bigger bank account? For more power? For more recognition? We've got to remind ourselves what our true purpose is. And as we consider leadership, I want us to consider a very foundational principle. God has not called women to lead families. And that being said, we all know that there are women that have been forced into that job and they've done a good job and praise God for those that are able to do that. And if you're in that situation, God bless you. But that was not God's original intent. God instructed men in the Old Testament. We look at the Old Testament patriarchs. It was the men that offered sacrifice that led the family. Under the Mosaical Dispensation, it was men that led the families. It was the Levitical priesthood that waited on the service of God in, within the tabernacle and the temple. And in the New Testament, we find instruction in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Timothy, in Ephesians, and other places where we as men are to step up and take on that leadership role. Just as God has not called men, uh, women to lead the family, God has not called women to re leadership in the church. Does that mean that women do not have talents and abilities? Absolutely not. As I look out across this audience, I see many women that have great talents. You ladies do a job that no one else can do. But as talented as you are, the role and the responsibility of leadership is placed, placed squarely upon the shoulders of you as men. Wives, if your husbands struggle in this aspect, I would ask you, I would beg you to encourage them to help them to seek out spiritual leadership, mentors that can help them in this job. As we consider the role of leadership, I think we can go to Scripture and we can find a very clear formula. We find a job description, if you will, in God's Word in Deuteronomy 6. And as we get ready to read there, understand that Moses is admonishing the men of Israel as they are awaiting to go over into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson." all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. You see, Moses, his admonition was to you, your sons, and your grandsons. It's a generational thing. It's a perpetual thing. And again, if we are going to establish leadership in our congregations, it is something that is a piece-by-piece -piece thing. It's a step-by-step -step process that has to be paid close attention to. So as we think of these verses, what is it, what did he say that the job was? He said the job was to fear the Lord and to teach their children. 
Again, I'll call your attention back to Luke 1 and verse 16 and 17 where we began this morning, where he said that he would make ready a people or prepare a people made ready for the Lord. Guys, if we are going to prepare the next generation, it comes through the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3 and verse 7, Do not be wise in our own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. That phrase, the fear of the Lord, is stated 16 times in Proverbs alone. 146 times in the Bible. And isn't that the problem we have today in our world? We as a nation have lost the fear of the Lord. Our schools, our colleges, our political system, everything we see around us has lost the fear of the Lord. So, how do we as fathers teach that fear to our children? Again, let's go back to the scriptures we just read, and I think there are three principles that are laid out very distinctly that tell us how we teach that fear of the Lord. First of all, as men, we are to love God deeply. In verse 5 of that reading, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Guys, that doesn't leave anything out. It is everything we have, everything within us should be ready to serve God. He said the second principle, if we are going to teach our children the fear of the Lord, is to love God's Word. Verse 6 of that reading, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. How can God's Word be in our heart if we don't study it, if we don't immerse ourselves in it? You know, this principle is repeated in the New Testament. We are told time and time again, if we love God, we will love His Word. And third, if we're going to teach our children to fear the Lord, we have to teach His Word diligently to our sons and daughters. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Let's think about that. He says you do it every day, all day long. He says you talk when you sit, when you walk, when we're in a vehicle going places, everyday scenarios, we can teach God's Word. We must pursue God. I think of this as a family stewardship, and I like that word stewardship. If we're a steward, it's something that we pour our life into. It's something that we take care of and something that we nurture. You know, when I think about my family, I've, I raised three sons, and there's not a one of them that's perfect. And that's because they didn't have a perfect father. But you know what? We all have a heavenly father that is perfect. And I hope and I pray that our purpose as fathers and as mothers will be for our children to follow God. We teach our sons, men, by modeling Christian behavior before them every day. They observe our speech. They observe our interaction with people in business. They observe our interaction within the family. And that's how we teach them. We model for them what Christianity is. Guys, you teach your daughters how they should be treated. She will judge her future husband by the template that you have laid down by how you treat her mother. Again, it's about modeling. 
Guys, we have to model. It's something that we live in our lives. And understand that this modeling is something that we do, not in the moment, but it's something that we do with the end in mind. We've got to have patience because raising children is a step-by-step step process that we have to put our heart into. So again, how do we teach them? We teach them by being with them. You know, Jesus was the great disciple maker. And it says that He made disciples by being with them. When they went to the market, Christ was with them. When they went fishing, Christ was with them. And He was with them when they did and said foolish things. And doesn't that sound like children? Our children are going to do foolish things. But I want us to notice what, God, what Christ's reaction was. In Luke 9, it says that Christ was going to Jerusalem and He was to pass through a village of the Samaritans. We find in Scripture that Christ had sent disciples ahead of Him to prepare, but we find that the village there did not want to accept Him. So let's look at what John, James and John, what their reaction was. And they said, and when His disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do You want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? As I said, Christ was with His disciples when they did some foolish things. But I want us to notice our, His reaction. If you continue reading, we'll find that Christ re responded to them. He didn't react. And that's what we've got to do as fathers. Don't react in the moment. Let's respond in a way that we can teach. And Christ simply stated to, the, uh, to His disciples here, to James and John, He said, your heart's not right. And He reminded them of where their heart should be. Again, as fathers, your job in disciplining your children is to respond, not react. You know, I know specifically with boys, it's hard to get their attention sometimes. You've got to touch them, get their attention. Sometimes it means we get down on their level and we talk to them eye to eye and explain to them. Rather than reacting in a harsh or difficult way, we need to respond to them in a way that we can lovingly teach them. Again, we think about Ephesians 6 verse 4 where it speaks of training. And you know, training is a slow process. You know, I thought of, uh, we, we see trees and bushes, ornamentals that the trunks are, are twisted and intertwined together. You know, that's a process that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that's done very carefully. We think about training a vine on a trellis. It's something that you work at and you place that vine there and you train it to grow where you want it to. And that's exactly what we do with our children. It's a slow process and it takes patience. You know, there's going to be disappointments and I can promise you guys there's going to be times that your children embarrass you. But I want to remind you that it's not about you. Don't overreact in those situations. It doesn't matter if you're embarrassed. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. What is important is your response to that child at that particular time and how you direct them and help them to change their behavior. And that's what's important. You have to be with your children in teachable moments. You know, the enemy wants you elsewhere. He wants you to be distracted. You have to be connected, not distracted. You have to be intentional instead of 
passive. And when I think about someone who was passive, again, we go to the Old Testament and we look in Scripture, 1 Samuel. And as, as we think about that, we're in 1 Samuel, but we're going to be reading about the, the prophet Eli. As we pick up the story there, we know that Hannah and her husband had come to worship. She had gone into the temple, and it says that she was praying. She had not been able to have children, and she prayed fervently for a child. Eli saw her and, and thought that she was drunk by, the, by her actions, but she simply stated to him that she was fervent in prayer and that she had prayed for a child. And he said for her to go her way that her prayer would be answered. We know as we continue that story that the, the son Eli was born to Hannah, and she dedicated him to the service of God. So he ended up being raised in the temple by Eli the prophet. But you know, what's interesting is, is when we really dive into the scripture, we want to look at what the Bible says about Eli and about his family. 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. Now as we study Old Testament Scripture, we know that the law provided for these priests to have a portion of the sacrifice. But what we're reading here is these guys were taking the very best. They were being selfish. They were picking out the ribeye, so to speak. They were taking what was important to them, and they were being selfish about it. Not only that, we read that in, in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 2, it says, Now Eli was very old, and he had heard everything his sons did to all Israel, how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, these guys were vile, and they were priests. They were sons of Eli who was a priest. But what happened? There was a failure there, and the failure was that Eli was passive. We find as we continue uh, studying in 1 Samuel that Eli was confronted about the behavior of his sons. It says the man of God went to him, and in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 2 it says, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I've commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? God told Eli through another prophet that he had honored his sons more than God. How did he do that? He did that by refusing to rebuke them. He did that by being passive. How do we as fathers honor our children above God? It's in the same way. If we refuse to take on that role of leadership, if we refuse to discipline our children, we honor them above God. And we find in Scripture that God judged Eli. 1 Samuel 3 and verse 12, In the day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house, from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. God judged the sons of Eli because Eli refused to rebuke them.
Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Your authority as fathers teaches your children the authority of our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Discipline your children. Discipline them according to the circumstance. Don't be overbearing or rough. Don't cuff them around. You know, there's times that discipline certainly needs to be firm, but it should never be in a demeaning way. Discipline your children so that you move them to self-discipline. They should see truth modeled at home. We have to be intentional. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, the idea is that of training. It's something that takes time. <clears throat> Very seldom do I quote Shakespeare, or I guess probably never before, but in one of his plays, he said, it is a wise man that knows his child. And you know, the, the flip side of that is that a father must also ensure their children know the father. Knowing a child and being known by a child requires a trusting relationship between a father and child. It requires great effort on the part of the father to establish that trust. It requires consistency in our character. And it requires that we listen to our children and listen to them when they come to us, whatever the reason. Again, Ephesians 6 verse 4, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. The NIV translation says, do not exasperate your children. Don't wear them out. Don't nag. Don't make them hostile through your actions. Treat them fairly. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't discipline. But be consistent, be fair, and be reasonable. We need to build trust in that child so they will approach us with whatever is on their mind. I read this quote and I think it is very fitting. It says, have the decency to treat them like the person you want them to become. Again, you've got to be involved as a father. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he walks. I remember my dad, he was always, he had a purpose. And if he was moving, if he was working, he was going to step off and he was going to move. And you better hurry up if you were going to keep up with him. But you know, that's not the walk I'm talking about. I'm talking about a manner of life. If we are going to be good leaders, if we are going to walk with God, then we have to be very careful about our manner of life. We can learn a lot from a man that walks with God. A man that walks with God, first of all, should include God's fellowship. I want to turn to Genesis 5 and read there in verse 21. Also, we find that a, a father's walk should influence his children. Genesis 5, 21 says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, and he begot Meth after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. 
So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We have just a very short glimpse into this man's life, but the Bible describes Enoch as a man that walked with God. And I believe we see through that that he did just this. He included God in his fellowship, and his walk influenced his children. Now again, it's a short amount of information that we have about Enoch, but I think it's very clear that he, has, he influenced his family. Because as we continue reading, we find that his grandson was Noah. And the Bible says that Noah was perfect. Noah was another man that walked with God. So the influence of Enoch lasted for generations. His walk influenced those that came after him. So I ask you this morning, guys, how do you walk with God? How do you do it? We do it just as we've discussed in Deuteronomy 6. We do it with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. In other words, we've got to be present. Again, I go back to this idea of self-denial. And guys, there are so many distractions in the world that we live in today, and, and we can pick any number of things. But I am very concerned that we see a distraction in the form of a very small four-inch screen at times. Guys, we can get on our phone and we can find the greatest memes, the funniest jokes, the best YouTube videos, all the news stories and sports, all the things that, anything we want. But let's be honest with ourselves about the time that we spend on our phones. I want to relay a story to you that I heard about a young man that had been convicted of a crime. And he was sitting in the courtroom awaiting to be sentenced. And the judge knew this young man. He had known him from his childhood. And he knew him because he knew his father. This young man's father was a, a very respected and famous legal scholar. And he had written legal books. Uh, the judge asked the young man, he said, Do you remember your father? And the young man said, I remember him well. And the judge tried to probe a little farther, and, and so he asked the young man, he said, as you're about to be sentenced, uh, and as you think about your wonderful dad, what do you remember most clearly about him? And the young man uh, had a pause, and then the, the judge received a, a response that he didn't expect. The young man said, I remember him, because when I went to him for advice, he looked up at me from the book he was writing, and he said, run along, son, I'm busy. He said, I, I went to him for companionship, and he turned me away saying, I'm very busy, leave me alone. You see, it should be obvious to us that if a father wants to influence his children for good and for God, he must be willing to pay attention. He has to be willing to give of his time. Guys, we've got to be informed. You as fathers, especially today, have got to be informed on what's going on around, uh, around you in our culture. You know, there's so many things that I look back to when I was raising, when Rhonda and I were raising our boys. There were certainly things that, that we had to be mindful of, but there's things today that you've got to be informed about that we didn't. There's things that you must talk about. First of all, gender ID. It's something that that it's just forever in the news these days. This LGBTQ movement. 
there's tolerance, tolerance for anything and everything that's being taught in our society. Things like same-sex marriage, the redefining of the family unit, drugs and alcohol use, choosing a spouse. All of these things are things that you must talk about with your children. Just this last week, I read a news story. And this story was about a mother in Idaho. She had a young son. She went into a fabric store in their community. And while they were in the fabric store, this young man, this boy, said, announced that he was looking for material to build himself or make himself a dress. And the mother was just extremely proud of that. There was a person working in the store that had the nerve to speak up and just simply said, boys don't need to wear dresses. That person lost their job because they were willing to stand up and say that. Guys, that's the absurd world that we're living in today. That is why you have to talk about these things. You know, the one that is most intentional with your children will win. And be assured, our enemy is being very intentional with the message that's being spewed out in our culture today. The devil is using every tool, every avenue possible to get to us and to affect our children. There is simply nothing that you can leave unsaid. You are going to have to talk about these things with your children. Again, as we consider distractions that we face, I want to ask a question of all of you this morning, and this goes for, for fathers and mothers. I'm going to ask you, how much time do you spend on your phone or other devices? And before you tune me out and just say this is another old guy on his soapbox, I'm going to ask you to truly be honest with yourself. You know, while you search useless facts or watch videos of people that don't know you and could care less about you, your kids are growing up. You are trading screen, screen time for quality time that you could be spending with your kids. You could be throwing a ball with them rather instead of watching a game of people that you don't know and will never meet. You could be teaching them Bible lessons through family time together instead of wearing a headset or shutting them out. Do you have a five-year-old here this morning? I can promise you this, and you can ask any other empty nester in the audience. Turn around once and that five-year-old will be ten. You turn around twice and you're going to be setting up their dorm room or helping them to get started in a new job. <clears throat> They grew up all the while you were distracted with useless, meaningless content. So I simply beg of you today, put down your devices. Be determined to make a change. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month. Let's do it for a lifetime. Think of it this way. You are teaching your kids what is acceptable behavior. When your kids are teenagers, do you want them to be distracted with technology as much as you are? Have you ever thought about it this way? Your kids may be acting out so that they can draw your attention away from your device and onto them. Years ago, I saw a friend who was eating out with his son in a restaurant. And for the entire meal, 
this guy looked at his phone, never talked to his son, never had any interaction, and the young man just looked miserable. I wish that I'd said something, but I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it to all of us. Put our devices down and pour into your children, and I promise you, I promise you, if you don't, you'll regret it. And that goes for all of us, men, women, parents, grandparents. We all have a job to do. We have a great influence in the lives of these young people, and I hope that we'll take that seriously. As we conclude this morning, I'm going to ask you the question, do your children know that you love them? Let's consider the story of the prodigal son. We read that quite often and we analyze it. Within this story, we find that that father was not afraid to show his emotion. When we read that story, we find that that father was standing, looking down the road, looking for the return of his son. And the Bible says that when he saw him, he didn't wait for him, he ran to him, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. This father was not afraid to show his emotion. Guys, don't be afraid to show your emotion with your children. Make sure they know that you love them. I want to conclude with this passage in Exodus 34 and verse 6. Moses is on Mount Sinai about ready, uh, ready to receive the tablets of stone. And this is the way God Almighty describes Himself to Moses. He said, it says, The Lord passed by him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Guys, our Heavenly Father is our greatest example, and He is the example. He is the epitome of love. Can it be said of you guys, are you merciful? Are you gracious? Are you patient? Are you slow to anger? Are you abounding in love and faithfulness? I hope you are. Again, in Luke 1 verse 16, speaking of John the Baptist, when he said that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, he said, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Our Heavenly Father wants to help you guys to equip your children to be a people prepared for the Lord. God is looking for us as fathers to respond, to be obedient, to deny ourselves. Let's be those men. Those of you with children at home, do the job. Love your children, love your wife, love God. Be men of integrity. Our kids need to see the truth modeled at home and in every aspect of our lives. If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, we offer the Lord's invitation. If you've been taught and would like to respond in baptism, we would invite you to do that. If you're here this morning and the, the prayers of the, the church could be of assistance to you in any way, we would invite you to come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.